This morning, we will see that while Paul hoped for Christ-likeness for the Galatians, he was perplexed by them. And we'll see this, we'll look at this, we'll examine this, so that we will not experience this division brought about by a one-sided commitment to truth. You say, uh, doctrine, uh, isn't that kind of something that we, we pick up down the road? No. The most basic form of doctrine is love. Timothy says that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says the goal of our instruction is love. The goal of our teaching, the goal of our doctrine is love. One of the clear demarcations in the book of 1 John with regard to what it means to be a believer, how a person is proven to be a believer, is his love for others. Do you have an absence of love for someone in our body? Well, with that, so that statement, point number one, return to the faith that we share. Return to the faith that we share. That's the issue. That's the problem. There's been a, a diversion from the faith. Return to that faith. Here, Paul says in verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. <laughs> become as I am. Be like me. We'll talk about what he means by that. I have also become as you. Become as I am. What does he mean here by become as I am? This is simply a matter of examining what he has said about himself and what he has said about them. He says in Galatians 1, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Be like me in that there has been an obvious change. I persecuted Christians. I don't do that anymore. That's not who I am anymore. Paul declares that with boldness. The result of the obvious change in Paul's life was that those in Cilicia glorified God because of that change. They saw it. Is your life reflective of that change? Have you returned to false gods? He was changed. He was no longer boasting in his achievements, but in Christ and his work of grace. The work of grace that Christ and Christ alone could accomplish. That's quite a contrast from his comments about the Galatians. And so when Paul says, be as I am, he's he's saying, stop being like you are. And here's some explanation of how they are. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, this is why we're devoted to the gospel, not simply as that criteria by which we were saved, but that same information by which we are sanctified. The person who says, well, I, have, I got the, you know, the gospel, I got that when I was eight. Why do you keep making a big deal out of it? Because it is the gospel that sanctifies us, and it is the gospel that prepares us for evangelism, and it is the gospel that glorifies God. You can't make too big a deal out of the gospel. Galatians 2, 4, and 5, I already read to you. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought 
in. You see, you're influenced by unbelievers. That's the deal. Unbelievers, false believers, Judaizers, who've convinced you somehow that their method is really such that it warrants more of your attention than the actual gospel. You've been, as Paul has said, you've been um, bewitched into that. For through the law, I died to the law. That's me. Be like me. I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Is that you? Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Are you still trying to achieve God's favor? Are you still trying to convince others that you deserve some kind of glorification because of what you've done? Galatians 3 verse 1, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There it is. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How does a person become a Christian? He hears with faith. Add anything to that and you've just engaged in legalism. Hearing with faith. Hearing what? The gospel. Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to all those who believe. That's what it means to become a Christian. You believe the right information. You have right thinking. And the result is your life changes. The proof is in your life. He says, for I also became as you are. You know this from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. He's not saying by any means, you know this about Paul, he's not compromising the faith. He's not pretending to be someone he's not. He's simply saying, I did what I could to involve myself in their culture, not in a sinful way, but in a way that would convince them that I had interest in their lives. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. In other words, I showed myself devoted to an understanding of the law. That's what he means by that. He studied the law. He had an awareness of the law. Why? That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. Know people. Invest in people. Spend time with people. That's the idea. I became as you did, Paul says. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He goes on here in our text this morning, Galatians 4, verse 12. You did me no wrong. You did me no wrong. And still, we're dealing with my first point, which is return to the faith that we share. Paul says, you did me no wrong. Now listen to this. He says, you know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Now, we don't know what Paul's bodily ailment was because Scripture does not tell us. 
Some have wondered if it was malaria due to his time spent in the lower, more swampy Pamphylia just prior to going to Galatia. Some, though, have more logically concluded that it was an eye infection because in verse 15 he says, For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. But the truth is we don't know. What we do know is that it was horrendous. It was severe. It was such that he had some expectation that they would be repulsed by it. Whatever it was, it was bad. In verse 14, he says, My condition was a trial to you. It resulted in a burden to you. It was difficult, and it was a test, and they survived the test, even to be praised by Paul for receiving and enduring the trial well. And then he says, you did not scorn or despise me. So again, the implication is that Paul wouldn't have been surprised if in their initial interaction, their initial introduction to each other, if they had responded to his bodily ailment with scorn. He says, you didn't do that. This term scorn here really means despise. So Paul's kind of using synonyms here. In the NAS, it's translated as despise. It means disdain. You didn't do that. You didn't look at me as if I would pollute you. But this would be to count him worthless. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a mindset towards someone. Disdain. This constant revolving disposition. Paul says, you didn't, you didn't have that disdain for me. You, you received me without that. You didn't despise or loathe me. This is more external. In fact, it literally means to spit on someone. You didn't spit on me. And that would have been common in Paul's culture for someone to be spat upon because of a bodily ailment. They didn't do that. They served him faithfully with sacrifice and endurance. In ancient times, it was common for someone to be alienated, even isolated, for physical infirmities. There was not only the risk that it was contagious and potentially deadly, there was also the thinking that it might be God's judgment. In John 9... Verses 2 and 3, when seeing a blind man, Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. On several occasions in Job's life, his counselors expressed their concern that his physical illnesses were likely the result of sin leading to God's judgment wasn't unusual thinking back then. In fact, there is this reality even today. In 1 Corinthians 11, as you know, from verses 28 to 30, Paul says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now, I don't propose, nor should you, to know when that's happening in a person's life. But it did, and it does. The Galatians, though, although Paul clearly had some expectation that they would not receive him, did. And they received him with love and affirmation. He says, you received me as an angel of God. That's how you received me, with fullness of heart. Even as Christ Jesus and then he drops a spiritual bomb 
on them in light of this connection that they have. He says, what then has become of the blessing you felt? What happened? You ministered to me. You you blessed me. You took me in when uh, I would have expected you wouldn't have. You, you took on a real trial. You took on a burden. What happened? What happened to the sense that you had of blessing in our relationship? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes. See, that's what the ministry of the Galatians to Paul did. We've been there. Kimberly and I have been there. <laughs> We've been there. You know, many of you, before we had the privilege to be involved in this church plant, ministered to us when I couldn't walk. Remember that, some of you? <laughs> what I was doing was not walking. It was an effort, but it didn't look like walking. You know, spending time on the phone, counseling, doing the things I could do from the couch mowing my lawn, some of you doing our dishes, doing our laundry working on our house uh, one thing after another for several weeks Kimberly was pregnant with Jax and on bed rest you know the meals uh, one after another and um, we, we know that joy that Paul speaks of here but I, I have to be candid with you and tell you we know the pain that Paul is addressing we know the pain of this division as well. Similar to Paul's words regarding his love for the elect who are lost in Romans 9, he says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and for whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. See, Paul displayed this throughout his life. The Galatians would have known that about him. His ministry resulted in their ministry. Paul's faithfulness results in their faithfulness. Paul's sacrifice results in their sacrifice. He says this in 2 Timothy 2.10. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of the elect. So that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. You don't know who the elect are before they're saved. So this isn't a matter of you know, wearing your you know, doctrine of election headgear and having some kind of infrared vision and seeing into you know, people's future. You, you, that's not the idea. The idea is you serve those who will allow you to serve them. Why? Because as Spurgeon has said, God will smoke out the elect through that faithfulness. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 give this, gives this lengthy list of things that he has endured, the labors, the trials that he has undergone for the sake of Christ, for the sake of those whom Christ would save. 
a little bit of this. He, uh, he says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You ever think about that? What that would mean? Three times I was beaten with rods. You know what a rebar is, right? Imagine. Some kind of metal rod. Beaten with that. Probably broken bones. Once I was stoned. Now, stoning is not what you and I typically think of. You know, you pick up rocks and you rocks that you can hold in one hand. Stoning was traditionally a, a stone that was very, very heavy, and the idea was just dropping it on someone's head would crush them. Paul said he underwent stoning to some degree. Three times I was shipwrecked. <laughs> Three times. What, what luck. It's God's design. But he underwent that, and he did it with joy. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. Well, one of those shipwrecks perhaps left him stranded in the water. Spent the night there. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. You see, this was the pattern uh, that Paul's life displayed. This is what ministry was. This is what Christianity looks like. The Galatians served him with the same mindset. There's so much more here. I recommend you read the passage. See, Paul was convinced, though, of their love for him as he had displayed it for them. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, you know this. He says, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Paul is saying, return to the faith that we share by imitating me. Be like I am. It's important. It's important. You've got to have spiritual leadership in your life that you can legitimately follow. Point number two. Remember who the enemy is and isn't. Remember who the enemy is and is not. Verse 16, Paul says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Is that why you... Hate me? Is that what's happening? Has truth divided us? Is that the problem? <laughs> I really, I, I love the Word of God. I know you do too, but I love the security of trusting in the Word of God. Someone brings up a uh, antagonistically done some kind of argument against what we teach. It's great confidence in smiling and going to the Word, exposing the Word. So what do you think? Well, my experience is, right, that's typically what happens. You know, you you deliver the word of God, someone doesn't like it, and it has everything to do with their experience. They become the standard 
of truth. So we smile, trust the Lord, trust his word, go back to the word. Uh, Be certain that you are not thinking of the wrong people as the enemy. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, the Judaizers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. Now, listen, there will be the temptation in your life of those who will just tell you, oh, you're fine. You didn't do anything wrong. You're you're good. Just keep doing what you're doing. They make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. That's ultimately what it's about. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now let me deal first with verse 19. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Again, back to Colossians 1. Paul says, I labor and strive for your spiritual completion, for your spiritual growth. That's why I do what I do. This was Paul's attitude toward the Galatians. He wanted to be effectively involved in their completion, as with the Colossians, the Ephesians, etc., Galatians 2, verse 4. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Are you in bondage? Because of a lack of willingness to hear truth? Truth divides. Truth divides. Verse 16 says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Proverbs 27, 6, your memory passage for today. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you find yourself interpreting the wounds of a friend through an improper grid? Are you even dishonest? about those wounds. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's important. Uh, This past week, I sat down with two different guys. They both asked to meet with me. I met with a lot of guys this week, but these two guys in particular, you know, it was pretty obvious. It needed to be private. It was pretty important. I was fully expecting to be confronted and looking forward to it. Both of them had things to tell me about them. That's good. That's good, but the mindset ought to be that whatever this man has to say, I hope it to be helpful for my spiritual growth. Do you, do you have a clear conscience? That when you know someone who is in the Lord, wants to talk to you, that's something that you anticipate with, with joy and hope for spiritual growth? Or do you oppose that? Digging your heels in, ramping up, kicking it into fifth gear. I'm ready for this. I'm ready to take this challenge on. They're wrong, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but they're wrong. Truth divides. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. That proverb goes on to say, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. The person who's constantly flattering. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 
Proverbs 28, 23. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. The person who's willing to engage in people's lives and tell them what they need to hear will ultimately find joy in a faithful, gracious willingness to do that. But the one who's only ever flattering will eventually find that it was a waste of time. Proverbs 29, verse 5, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. Do you have a friend who only ever says positive things about you? The answer is no. That's not a friend. This is a tough thing, huh? This is a tough pill to swallow. One of the guys I met with this week said to me, you know, you're different. You see, you know, you've really tried hard to cultivate this attitude in our church of of honesty and a willingness to be confronted. And so I want you to tell me what I need to hear about myself. Please tell me. There are certain men in our church that do that all the time. And after a while, I'm going, okay, you're good. (laughs) As far as I know, I'm not the standard, right? But praise God for that spirit. In Matthew 10, 35, Jesus says, For I came to set a man against his father. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What's more important to you, those familial relationships or those eternal relationships that very likely, you know, if we'll be obedient and humble, will result in the reconciliation of those familial relationships. I've had rich and greatly rewarding truly encouraging fellowship with dear souls in our church who are agonizing over the lostness of family members, who are asking, pleading for counsel with how do I really address this in a way that, you know, if possible, I can avoid having to cut them off. And that's what we want. But the passion of the hearts of these dear people is, but I, I love Christ. My brother claims to love Christ. My father, my sister, my mother claims to love Christ. And clearly there's no devotion to Christ. There's only this firm commitment that I made a decision when I was five. Jesus says, there will be division. Say, what's the purpose of exposing that division? Well, that the division would be revealed so that we could pursue reconciliation. We're not happy when that division is exposed. But you've got to be honest about it. How many of you have ever prayed that someone would get good test results over some potential ailment that they have? You want accurate results. Think of it. The person has terminal cancer. And you're praying for good results from the test? You want the test to show what's there. I get the point. What you really mean is you want the cancer to not be there. Pray that then. Because God does that. But you and I, we need an accurate diagnosis of our lives. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Paul was typically, by the way, more severe in writing than he was when he was up close. Point number three don't be perplexing to your spiritual leaders. 
I've been perplexing to spiritual leaders in my life. I was a liar. I was immoral. I was unfaithful to Christ. I was deceptive. And in God's kindness, he exposed it all, and my life disappeared. I got a note from a, from a guy uh, in Gra- from Grace Advance this last summer. You know, I had the privilege to go back and teach in Grace Advance, and I explained my whole church discipline situation, for which I am grateful. And uh, I got this note. He wrote it in July. I didn't get it until about a week ago. And uh, he, he said, uh, you know, you are... Uh, the most successful church discipline case I've ever heard of. If there's anything for which I'm grateful, it is that men who love Christ sat across from me at a very cold and painful meeting and said to me, you're lying, and here's how we know. And I lied for two hours. Finally, one of my spiritual heroes, he said, you know, you're blowing smoke. You don't make any sense. Nothing you said adds up. It's obvious. I broke. And I don't know if it was that moment, but some point thereafter, I was regenerated. I experienced new life that I'd been pretending to have prior to that. I had no love for the gospel. I had no real love for the church. I had love for activity because I knew how to you know, wear the right clothes and fit into the right group and say the right things and gain some kind of notoriety. I was really good at that. Instantly, it's all gone. It's all gone. Every bit of it. Best moment of my life. Prior to that, I'd been very perplexing to spiritual leaders in that moment, especially those two hours, very perplexing to spiritual leaders. Paul says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. It's a harsh moment in the letter to the Galatians. wish I could change my tone, but you need to understand this. I'm perplexed about you. Confused. Has truth divided us? Second John 1 verse 12, John says, Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. That's spiritual completion. That's maturation. Spiritual growth. I want to be with you. I want to sit with you. I want to talk with you. I want to encourage you. I want you to be completed. I want you to grow. I want to see it. You know this from Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Don't be perplexing. Don't be... Don't be the one that makes people scratch their heads and say, what is going on? How could that happen? 
No, Kimberly, Kimberly said to me, I'm kind of animated, you know that. Kimberly, Kimberly said to me the other day, you know, sometimes it's funny. You'll, you'll find out something about somebody and you, you just go, what in the world? And then immediately you're pursuing that person. Immediately trying to help that person and, and, and doing everything you can to help that person live in reality. I don't know why God has produced that passion in my heart. I have no idea why. I used to not like people at all. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what happened. But I know that that is the passion of my heart. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Isn't that what you want? Jesus' joy is perfect. It was never interrupted, ever. Um, That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so it doesn't go well for them, like the writer of Hebrews says. It will not go for you if you make it difficult for your spiritual leaders, if you make it perplexing for them. You know, at best, you're a question mark. And at worst, you're a negative exclamation point. You know, you don't want to be that person. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. A rebuke, a gentle rebuke for the wise man stretches weeks and months, maybe years in that person's life. But, but for the fool, a hundred blows, a thousand blows, a million blows, just keeps taking it. Let me just ask you some practical questions before we end this and go to the Lord's table. In, in light of this, in, in light of what Paul, I believe, is hoping to protect the Galatians, to salvage the Galatians from and protect other Christians from, this, uh, this one-sided commitment to truth that leads to division, this obvious division in the body. And the way I've asked it is, has truth divided us? Paul is very clear in his declaration of the fact that truth will divide Paul hoped for Christ's likeness in the Galatians, but he was perplexed by that. So I've called you to return to the faith that we share. I've called you to remember who the enemy is and isn't. I've called you to not perplex your spiritual leaders, but here are some questions. Number one, are you disinterested or unconcerned with the counsel and concerns of those who are your spiritual leaders? Does that mean nothing to you? How about this? Let's go a little further. Is that annoying to you? Let's go further. Does that create disdain in your mind? I don't know what else to tell you except to say that this is God's design. Has truth divided us? How do you respond to the truth of the gospel? Uh, Particularly as it applies to areas in your life that don't seem to reflect the gospel. Are you receptive, grateful, loving, humble? Do you desire to be around those who are interested in your spiritual growth? Do you hope to be confronted, cleansed? 
Do you long for spiritual growth or do you just pretend that you long for spiritual growth? The wise man loves a rebuke. He loves correction. Or on the other hand, are you more comfortable around those who cultivate and nurture your sin? Strong statement here from Paul in Romans 1, the end of Romans 1. He he speaks of those, as you know, who were thankless regarding God. They didn't thank him. They knew of him, but they didn't thank him. They chose to worship the creation rather than the creator. They ultimately find their way into homosexuality, other sins, other forms of immorality. And he says this, though they know God's decree. So they've heard at least part of the gospel. They've at least heard that God exercises judgment against immorality. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. See, that really ought to cause each of us to think long and hard about the people to whom we are subjecting ourselves, especially theologically. Do you stand firm in the faith? As Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 15 what the gospel is, the reality is is that if you stand firm in the gospel, you have eternal life, you're in Christ. Do you stand firm in the gospel such that some effort, however imperfect or mishandled it may be, when an effort is made to help you recalibrate and become, in fact, aligned with the gospel, the question is, how do you respond to that? Father, we thank you for the crystal clarity of your word, the joy that it is for us to be strengthened by the power of the gospel, singing to you and acknowledging who you are, your greatness, and setting aside, not just momentarily, but permanently setting aside any willingness to believe that our achievements warrant eternal life. Help us now, Father, as we go to the Lord's table to honestly be willing to expose in our own hearts before you the truth of who we are and the condition of our souls. Lord, we ask that you and your goodness would help us to be a people who are not divided by truth, but are unified by truth. Amen.